This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The White House denounced China's provocative military activity around Taiwan and warned that a mistake such as an ill-directed missile could lead to real conflict. China's drills have entered their second day. On the first, it fired missiles over the self-governing island, deployed fighter jets and warships, and practiced a blockade. Commercial airlines and ships are giving the area a wide berth. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of America's House of Representatives, whose visit to the island on Tuesday prompted China's ire, said she had no intention of changing the status quo regarding Taiwan. Three more ships carrying about 58,000 tonnes of grain left Ukrainian ports under the deal relaxing Russia's blockade. The first sailed on Monday. According to the Financial Times, Ukraine has called for the deal to be expanded to include other products, such as metals. Separately, Britain's Defence Ministry said Russian forces occupying the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, Europe's largest, appear to have undermined its safety. The Democrats in America's Senate cleared a final obstacle on their way to passing an omnibus bill concerning climate change, health care and tax policy by pulling their recalcitrant partisan, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, onside. The other holdout, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, rejoined the fold last week. Miss Sinema won a concession to protect financiers from more swinging taxation and further relief for her drought-stricken state. Indonesia's GDP growth in the second quarter beat expectations, rising 5.44% from a year earlier. Southeast Asia's largest economy was bolstered by its exports, propped up by high global commodity prices as well as resurgent consumption. Viktor Orban, Hungary's Prime Minister, gave the opening speech at CPAC, a gathering of mostly American right-wingers in Texas. Mr Orban's model of illiberal democracy, which includes building a border fence, railing against multiculturalism and banning gender studies, has made him a darling of the American right and a bogeyman to liberals on both sides of the pond. Warner Brothers Discovery said that it would ditch its streaming first model, the first big withdrawal from the streaming wars being fought between companies such as Netflix, Disney and Apple. The firm, formed in May upon the merger of Warner Media and Discovery, will ponder free ad-based channels and pursue more licensing of its films. It announced the about turn as it marked a $3.4 billion net loss for the latest quarter. America declared monkeypox a public health emergency, paving the way for additional funding and improved data collection to help contain the outbreak. America has recorded some 6,600 cases of monkeypox, a quarter of the total worldwide. The virus is similar to smallpox, though less fatal. The move by the Biden administration follows a similar declaration last month by the World Health Organization. And fact of the day. One trillion dollars. The amount that the war in Ukraine has taken off forecasts for global GDP in 2022. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. India's economic risks pile up. For months, as central banks around the world tightened monetary policy, 
The Reserve Bank of India held firm, wary of jeopardizing a fragile economic recovery from the pandemic. In May, however, the RBI sprung into action. It increased interest rates by 0.4 percentage points, and again by 0.5 percentage points in June. The annual inflation rate, which was 7% in July, has now exceeded the RBI's upper threshold of 6% for five consecutive months. On Friday, it is expected to announce yet another raise that would push rates back to pre-pandemic levels. It is not just inflation that the bank is worrying about. The value of the rupee fell to its lowest ever against the dollar in July, forcing the RBI to draw on foreign reserves to prevent further damage. India's trade deficit has ballooned, too. The RBI need not look far to see the cost of mismanagement. Bangladesh, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka are already in deep economic trouble. The Sultan and the Tsar Recep Tayyip Erdogan and Vladimir Putin meet in Sochi on Friday for their second summit in 17 days. The war in Ukraine has brought Turkey and Russia's leaders closer, but also shifted the balance of power in their relationship. Mr. Putin is more isolated than ever and suffering humiliations on the battlefield. His Turkish counterpart, until recently a pariah in western capitals, has made himself indispensable by brokering a deal to release Ukrainian and Russian grain exports across the Black Sea. But Turkey also needs Russia for its money. Mr. Erdogan's government has not joined in Western sanctions, making his country a destination for oligarchs, superyachts, and potentially also for their investments. Last week, the Kremlin said it is buying $6.1 billion in Turkish treasury bonds as part of a loan deal for the Russian-built Akuyu nuclear power plant, currently under construction on the Mediterranean coast. The cash will provide a much-needed boost to Turkey's shrinking foreign currency reserves. Gold loses its luster. Anglagold Ashanti, the world's fourth-largest gold producer, wants its results to shine on Friday, as it reports on the changes made by the chief executive appointed in July 2021 but financial markets are unlikely to be impressed. The gold miner's share price has dropped by 60% from its all-time high in July 2020. Similarly poor returns have been registered by competitors, including America's Newmont and Canada's Barrick Gold. That is in part because gold miners often outperform gold in a rising market, but also sink lower when it is on the way down. The metal's price has dropped by 14.5% since March. Historically, bullion has been seen as a safe haven amid inflation, and the shares of its miners as a hedge. This time around, the miners are suffering from higher costs without benefiting from higher prices. Either speculators think inflation is temporary, or, for now at least, gold's historic insurance role is waning. America's job market comes off the boil. Having run hot for 18 months, the labor market in America may at last be softening. 
Data due on Friday are expected to show that the economy added about 250,000 jobs in July, the fewest since the end of 2020. But that would be a solid result. A slowdown in job creation ought to lessen inflationary pressure, while avoiding the steep employment losses commonly seen during recessions. The question is how long this Goldilocks scenario can last. Even with the slight cooling in the labor market, private sector wages are rising at an annual pace of more than 5%. That is far too fast for the Federal Reserve to succeed in bringing inflation back to its target of roughly 2%. Moreover, the economy has yet to feel the full brunt of the central bank's recent interest rate increases. The still robust job figures in July may thus be a way station on a path towards more layoffs. The Edinburgh Festival struggles to stay festive. The first Edinburgh National Festival was held in 1947 to rebuild cultural ties across Europe following the ravages of the Second World War. Since then, it has prided itself on its cosmopolitanism. In 2019, 2,800 artists from over 40 countries performed in classical music, theater, and dance shows. This year's edition, which starts on Friday, is fighting to hold up that mantle. The war in Ukraine, chaos in the airline industry, and Brexit have created a perfect storm of logistical challenges. There is a shortage of temporary workers. Burdensome documentation and visa requirements are holding up European artists, and the cost of shipping equipment has rocketed. Many performers are worried about having to cancel at the last minute because of COVID 19. Audiences, duly wary, are not booking their tickets in advance, depriving shows of cash. In its 75th year, the festival is having to try harder than ever to preserve its international roots. Daily quiz. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday. What was the aristocratic title of Princess Margaret's husband, Antony Armstrong Jones? Thursday. Which Japanese camera film company was established in 1934? The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our new weekly crossword published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia. Vincent Cochun Keat, Keta, Malaysia, North America, Jug Stanovich, Kansas City, United States, Europe, Ria Ganapathy, Barcelona, Spain, Africa, Las Herdain, Cape Town, South Africa, Oceania, Roberta McDonald, Runaway Bay, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Nancy Pelosi, NASDAQ, Paris, and Israel. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword.
Finally, here's the quote of the day from Toni Morrison, who died on this day in 2019. The function of freedom is to free someone else. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.